While church hurt and spiritual abuse are traumatic enough in and of themselves, one of the things that makes the experience so much worse for survivors is the very indirect way that these things are discussed in the church, if they are discussed at all. But my guest today, Natalie Runyon, is here to talk plainly about these experiences, to call them what they are, and to talk about the process of rebuilding after the ruin of spiritual abuse. That's all today here on The Truth and Our Trauma. Christian Counseling on the Go, sign me up. Faithful Counseling is Christian counseling that is available to you wherever you are and on your schedule. And we've partnered with them to bring you 10% off of your first month. To sign up and get started, go to getfaithful.com forward slash valor. I have denomination hopped in my faith journey. I grew up in one denomination, and then over the course of my adult life and seeking the Lord, have ended up in a few different types of congregations that I probably actually would have not really chosen for myself, if I'm being honest. But in these various contexts, I have seen church done really well, and I have seen a whole lot of hurt. I've experienced a whole lot of hurt. And I think it's important for us to have these conversations around hurt and harm and abuse in the church because we have to be able to understand that these are institutions in which there is not only the tendency for humans to use for their own gain, but the infiltration of the enemy via those types of motivations. And what is so harmful about this experience is the fact that not only then have we encountered humans that we are struggling to trust or an institution that we can no longer trust, but it calls into question everything maybe that we thought we knew about God and how to relate to him and who we are to him. Natalie Runyon is my guest for this conversation, and I love her insight into the fallout of this, the wandering and the doubt and the questioning that comes after dealing with this sort of a situation, and yet having the ability to truly know the real Jesus through these things and discover where he's leading us as we take one little step in front of another to move forward. Natalie, it is so great to have you with me. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Natalie, I want to dive right in and talk about the wandering that so many of us might be experiencing as, you know, we're processing situations where we've really been harmed, especially when it comes to things like spiritual abuse and church hurt. And I think wandering is one of those things that it's disorienting, but it's also frightening because we're not really sure how long it's supposed to last. And yet there's a lot of value in a season like this. So would you start off by just sharing a little bit of that journey for yourself, but then also give us some insight into how wandering maybe taught you some things about the heart of Jesus that maybe you didn't necessarily experience growing up in a church environment. Yeah, I was a pastor's kid. So like the church was my DNA. It was who we were with constantly from camp meetings and revivals at church camp and regular weekly services. We lived in the church parsonage. I mean, we were enmeshed in Christian culture. And so when my senior year came around and one day we show up at church and 
it's today's your last day. No warning, nothing. You have to move out, pack your bags, be out. It was such a betrayal of of a system that was supposed to protect me and didn't protect me. And we could say this about a lot of things, marriage, family, you know, when when institutions that are supposed to protect us fail us, there is a sense of betrayal and we're no longer safe. And for me, that meant a college change. I was supposed to go to a Christian university and very last minute was like, no, thank you. If this is who God's people are, if this is what it's going to be like to serve Jesus, um, I don't want that. And so I ended up going to a public university where I majored in kinesiology, which being a science major in a public university is the lion's den. It is where you're going to get eaten alive if you do not know your theology and you do not know who you are in Christ. And it was five years at this university of sitting in these giant rooms full of very intellectual people who were drilling me as the one evangelical in the room about everything from creationism to gender equality to all of the things I had been raised, you know, listening to and about. And now it's in front of me like this, this fight for my life. And it was in that season that I didn't deconstruct, but I began to detangle from some of the religious things that had been placed on me by people, by those who probably had good intentions, but I grew up in 90s purity culture. I grew up with movements that were man-made that were supposed to enforce biblical principles, but actually did more harm than good for a lot of us and began to detangle from this version of Jesus that the white evangelical church had placed on me and really dove in for myself to find out why do I even believe this? Why do I sing these songs? Why do I say the things that I say that I do? Why do I speak this Christianese that nobody else seems to know? And that began this journey on me wandering of really going through my own deserts, the biblical principle of desert and wasteland kind of coming into my own life. And I found Jesus in such a sweet way because I found the Jesus of the Bible. I found the the Jesus who died for me and loved me and wasn't up there with this ironclad fist ready to strike me down because I wore a two-piece bathing suit. Um, and really, it was on that wandering that I discovered that, one, I did love Jesus. I did believe in God. I did believe in the Holy Spirit. And that at the end of the day, I did love God's people. But it was a five-year journey. And we have to remember, God is not in a rush with our healing. Uh, we get into a rush with people's healing, but God's not in a rush with us. And so I'm so grateful that He wasn't because it gave me the space to take that journey that I needed to take. I love the fact that you pointed to the things that we're detangling from, which is also such a great word, but they're man-made. That so often when we have been betrayed in a spiritual context, it's because someone has taken something that is really supernatural, you know, which is hard for us to understand. And we do the best we can in our human ways to understand God. And yet, though, this can go so far off the deep end and especially become manipulated, right? So it's it's taking something that is uncertain in some ways and trying to apply more certainty to it so we can feel like we're doing the quote-unquote right thing, which in itself is not a terrible pursuit, but then so often it just gets so mucky than when you put in sin nature and power dynamics and all those sorts of things. But that at the end of the day, there is truth that still is untouched, that the truth can become more true to us, actually, in peeling off all that man-made stuff, all that stuff that didn't have anything to do with the heart of Jesus, and then coming to discover who he truly, truly is to us. Mm -hmm. It was, it was, okay, I understand now 
why my parents didn't want me to wear a bikini because really what I'm doing, and I began to see it through the lens of like what the Bible says, like what Jesus says, that Jesus loves me enough to want me to protect my body, to to save that part of myself. And it didn't mean wearing a two-piece was sin. I wasn't going to go to hell, but I, I now had a better understanding of why this was a rule that had dictated my life for so long. Mm-hmm. And then it became a choice. Now it was, how do I want to do this myself? How do I want to raise my own teenage daughters? What's the narrative that I'm going to speak over them? So I do agree. It's just these these man-made principles that were placed on us based off of a certain denomination or organization's understanding of scripture mm-hmm. versus what scripture actually said. Yeah. And I think that's the empowerment of the wandering because there there's a lot of, of pulling away, right? There's a whole lot of it, <laughs> which I want to talk about that in a moment. But there's a whole lot of things that are getting ripped away. And in the middle of that, it is just, it. it's again, like I said, it's so disorienting, but the recognition that there is also an adding, there is, there, there is now a rebuilding of things that give us the ability to make choices or to understand the, the real deep down intention that often isn't communicated, really often isn't understood. You know, and it's just this legacy that gets kind of passed on and nobody really questions or knows why, but there's some deep harm underneath that that can happen. Absolutely. You think about a Christmas tree, if you go into your like grandma's house and there are ornaments that are cracked and need to be thrown away and they're still hanging there. And you're like, why is this ornament still there? And it's like, well, you're great, great. So-and-so gave that to me. And uh, I just put it on every year. And like, nobody really knows why it's still there. It's just there. It doesn't need to be there. And, and we do that in the church. We, we hang things on our walls and we put things in our buildings and we, we assign things to one another that have just always been there. And it's like, nobody's had the courage to be like, well, don't you think it's it's not working anymore? <laughs> like it's it's clearly broken. So shouldn't we just pitch it so that we can add some new things to make it beautiful? And that's what I'm really hoping is coming from this deconstruction movement is a rebuilding with healthier foundations and framework um, that throw out some things that need to be house cleaned and start bringing in some of the newer things that are truly Jesus. And I want to talk about deconstruction for a moment because it's what we're dancing around here when we're talking about wandering and peeling things off, like we'll just call it what it is. We are talking about deconstruction, but I think detangling is such a better word because there is this tendency to want to throw all of it out. We're just going to throw all of it out and not reconstruct, not have a new understanding that the foundation is still there, but now let's build newly upon it. Yet that's even the example in scripture when God talks about the fact that he's tearing things down, but he's rebuilding things. And in on one hand, some of, of doing this is frightening because, again, there's what we've been taught. And to go against it feels like going against God, for example, I didn't grow up in evangelical culture, but I did grow up in a denomination where there's a lot of works that seem to be attached to your faith. And so to say then that these works or these rituals no longer apply seems to be saying I'm walking away from salvation in some regards. So would you talk about that process of deconstruction, talk about how we can approach this in a way that is helpful Um, and avoid maybe some of those barriers that are not so helpful. Well, the church has to stop panicking when somebody says they're deconstructing because deconstruction is not deconversion all the time. 
we can deconstruct without leaving Jesus. But the church hears that word deconstruction and automatically thinks everything they've seen on social media. And what we have to realize is that deconstruction is not deconversion. But as Lisa Bevere writes in the foreword of my book, if we deconstruct without any plan to rebuild, it's just destruction. So there's this fine line to walk between throwing the baby out with the bathwater and walking away completely from the church and Jesus. And then looking at this deconstruction as an opportunity to rebuild something that is truly a church and a faith that Jesus is part of and he is central in. Um, We have so far gotten so far away from what the true church should look like, that it's no reason that some people want nothing to do with it because it doesn't look like Jesus. It doesn't sound like Jesus. It sounds like a uh, hyped up version of of a concert. And so that's where I think healthy deconstruction is just that moment where we can say, I want to keep all of Jesus, but I want to detangle from what the world has attached to it. And we don't need to defend the church. When people say they're deconstructing, we don't need to all of a sudden go into defense mode. God can protect his church, but rather lean and listen and ask, tell me your story. What is it about your faith that was difficult? What is it that you're trying to detangle from and be a master listener and reminder to everybody, ministry, man, listening is a beautiful ministry. So don't forsake the ministry of listening. (laughs) Mm, I think this is one of the things that's so valuable too about that wandering season because Hosea talks about God wooing us in the wilderness, that he calls us away to bring us closer to him. And so as we know more of who Jesus is, we know also what he is not. (laughs) Because there does come a point in this reconstruction where it's like, all right, I got to re-engage with people. <laughs> yes. And and people will be a definite example of what Jesus is not. Because, you know, we they say that they will know that we are his disciples by the way that we love one another. And it's like, you can tell immediately who is, you know, has the fruits of the spirit and who just wants the gifts of the spirit. And I want the fruit. I want to bear that fruit that is patient and kind and loving and has self-control and sits with people in these spaces. What did that look like for you, Natalie? You know, knowing that you had this wandering period of time and then re-engaging, but often maybe in contexts that would have drawn up some old wounds, created some new ones. How did you navigate that? Well, I spent a lot of time journaling. And when I say a lot, like in my basement, I have a bin full of journals, probably 30 from that season where my husband drew skull and crossbones on the box because it's like the Pandora's box of my faith journey where it did look like lamentations. My journals were these constant crying out to the Lord. Do you see me? Do you hear me? Is there anything that I've done that has separated me from you? There was so much of this angst inside of me that was feeling this combination of guilt and condemnation, but then also hope and reassurance. And so it made me go to the scriptures to find out the answers to the questions I was asking in my journal, not going to people, not going to churches, but getting into the word. And so you're right. The Holy Spirit woos us in the wilderness at 12 o'clock at night in our dorm room when we're writing out these prayers or when we're at our job and we're praying in the warehouse, like God is so present with us. And that's where I found a Jesus who was waiting for me in the wilderness, who was sitting with me um, by these still calm waters where he was restoring my soul. And and it was that four, five, four to five years in college where I learned who he was in a way that made me want to know more. And it kept me on the hook enough to not fully walk away from my faith, but to keep pursuing this hope. 
that's this living hope that was before me. And so when I graduated from college, I had the opportunity to go and be a worship pastor intern for a church. And I remember I was also teaching at the time. And so I thought, well, I'm not really in ministry. I'm a teacher. So I'll be a teacher who just kind of moonlights as a worship leader. And I, then I won't get hurt. Like I won't get hurt. Um, but what ended up happening is it was in that season where I really did fall back in love with the church. And it took falling back in love with Jesus for me to fall back in love with the church and to realize that I could get hurt again. I probably would get hurt again, but that I would handle it differently uh, this time because I had a better view and picture of who my healer was. Um, and it, it wasn't the same as it was five years prior to that. What I'm hearing you say in your story, which I absolutely experienced in my own, is that when we look at faith early on, when it is a lot of the do this, don't do that, whatever, we're missing that attachment. You know, we're missing that safety, that connection, really, like relationship, really, with God. And in this breaking and in this, this, questioning and doubting there's also a rediscovering though and that is where those roots start to just go real deep down that gives the courage that's and that's what you're saying though is like oh yeah i might get hurt again <laughs> this could right. happen right but it's like but i don't feel like i'm a lonely island this time no and i mean i still was sinning i was still a sinner i was still actively struggling. Well, you know, there, there are things that about me didn't change. I was still human. I was still, you know, broken, but the way that I saw God had shifted, the way that I saw his grace had shifted, the way that I felt his love for me had shifted because I had been in the wilderness with him. And he had shown up in so many beautiful ways that I wasn't afraid to mess up. I wasn't afraid to sin because I knew that if I did, that I had this forgiving God, not this judge who was just waiting for me to fail. And that then gave me grace for other people you know, who were in their own seasons of wandering. And I think that, you know, when you, you only can have grace for wanderers, if you've wandered, <laughs> you know, it's so true. It's so true. Okay. This one is for all my overthinkers out there. I used to be absolutely debilitated by intrusive thoughts, everything from constant worry to just dread of the future. I couldn't make it stop. If you're there right now, I have developed a free downloadable guide to help you get your mind back. It's called Overthinking. Get out of your head and on with your life. And you can download it for free right now at UncommonValor.co. Now I want to ask you a question, though. So I agree with you. When you have wandered, it is so easy to see those other wanderers or those other broken people and go, oh. You too, me too. <laughs> but what about the other side of this? What about the ones who have been the betrayers? What about the ones who have harmed or you start to identify like that is not a safe person? What did all of this journey, what has it taught you about betrayal and loving your enemies? I have journaled and journaled and journaled about all of my Saul's and all of my Judases, and we all have had Saul's and we've all had Judases. And I would even counter that with perhaps we've also been a Saul or a Judas at one time, you know, because we are not all victims. I mean, there we we have been victims, but we've also probably victimized in our own way. Um, and so I feel like for me, I have to sit with that reality for a minute and just be like, God, forgive me for partnering and hurting your people. I'm so sorry if I've done that. Um, but also when I look at 
those who have truly been spiritually abusive, and for some of us, physically abusive, sexually abusive, there is a forgiveness that can be done in the quiet crevices of our hearts that is between us and the Lord, but that does not demand trust or time following the betrayal. And, you know, I've been let down by people. I've been hurt by people. And those people have come back into my life at different times. But those who have truly been the narcissistic, spiritual, sexual, physical abusers of the sheep. First of all, there's a special place in hell for people who abuse God's sheep. But also we have to be able to walk in the freedom to know that they do not demand our time or our trust ever again. And that is not unforgiveness, that's wisdom. And I I think that when I was a kid, I was just taught, trust everybody, give everybody the benefit of the doubt. If you forgive, you've got to trust. That's not true. <laughs> I can forgive and not invite those people back into my into my life. And I think a lot of us need to hear that, especially women who have been victims of um, you know, sexual assault in relationships or even at the hands of youth pastors or or pastors, just because they have pastor by their name doesn't mean that you have to trust them again. Um, and I think that coming to that reality was so freeing for me to know that I could let them free from the prison of my heart, but not have to ever engage with them face to face again. I think what you just said is so powerful. And I am so grateful to you for being extremely explicit and and clear, though, because a lot of times these types of abuses purely get called things like moral failure or they get called like a, or, or just a falling, you know, and that's, when we go back to Christianese, that's very fluffy language for something that is pure evil. And as people who have the, the, the words of truth at our disposal, we should be the first ones to blanketly call something like this evil. And yet, that doesn't happen, which only deepens the wounds and deepens the hurt. But as you said, when we can go to scripture and not have to listen to what other people say, you know, when we go to the words of scripture, we can, this is readily available and apparent to us that we can know this is what God says about this. So even if I am now in a space where I have to leave this congregation or whatever the the fallout is of, of the experience, we can know that the Lord is angered by this type of treatment of his sheep and that though it may be hard to understand where he was in the midst of it and hard to learn how to trust God, we can know that this is who he is, that he is just and that in our forgiveness, we are untangling ourselves from something that ultimately he is going to see through to justice. When you were talking, I was thinking of the scripture in Ezekiel, and I think I've pulled up the right one, but it was talking about how, and now the sheep are scattered because there was no shepherd. And this is in Ezekiel 34. They became food for every wild animal. And so they were scattered. My flock wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the face of the earth. There was no one to search or to look for them. And this is what happened when when, you know, shepherds betray the sheep when they're no longer protecting the flock. And this is, this is huge. It's Ezekiel is like talking through this. And, and I just, it, the Lord is so clear in this, that this is what happens when the shepherds take their position and they abuse it through abuse. And that's why it's so important for us to have these conversations, to let people know, yes, they might be pastor. Yes, they may have, um, 
you know, some sort of a holy level of whatever, but that doesn't exempt them from the behaviors that we're seeing in some of these churches. And that whole, if you want to read that, anybody listening, that, that is in Ezekiel 34, just talking about the importance of the of the sheep and the and the shepherd and the importance of the shepherd protecting the sheep, um, and that's what breaks my heart about the assault and the sexual sin and the falling and all you want to call it is that it's actually traumatizing the sheep who God loves very much. Mm-hmm. And then when you think about just the extra layer that is so vile about this, is it calls into question then that person is starting to then not only question their own identity, but as it pertains to their identity in Christ. And it is not just, can I go to church here anymore? It is, can I trust God anymore? Like we are, you're messing with a person on so many levels. And that is why this is just so wicked, which again, we just have to call it what it is. Because ultimately, when you think about there is no gray there, you're either following God or you're following Satan. That's it. There's no gray. And so this type of behavior is Satan leading a church. And that's what we need to be able to say is this is Satan leading a church. Mm -hmm. And if if our churches were more transparent about these things, so and did call this what it is plainly and, and had the accountability where it belonged, then. I, I have such a, a justice and righteous anger that's flowing through me that I'm like, oh, just be careful what you're thinking and what you're <laughs> I saying. Um, I just, I, I long to see that in the church. I think that's, but, but, and this is, this is the frightening part, but this is, this is the hope is that in taking your time to, to wander and process that in taking your time, which is where we started in taking your time to cry out to God, to journal, to do whatever it is and taking as long as it takes and allowing him, he is the one who comes for the one. He's the one who leaves the 99. If you are in a space where all I can do is stand right here and cry right now, I can't go to a church. I can't do any of that. He is okay with you Mm -hmm. and allow him to love you and allow him to do that. In that is that space where the, the healing starts to flow through there, where you have the ability to know yourself as he sees you to where in this wounding place, the enemy has begun to hiss lies at you and to cause you to have all sorts of fear or doubt or whatever it is that has been planted in there now that in his time, the Lord can heal these things and restore your voice. And I think that's the biggest piece is to in whatever way a person has been harmed, the Lord wants to give you your voice back. That you have the courage, as we've been talking about, you're you're not gonna have to white knuckle this and walk yourself back into a church. He'll let you know when and where and all of those things. He's got you. But because your voice matters so much then, that the truth would be spoken in these in these places. It's true. I mean, the enemy knew I had a big mouth and the best thing that the enemy could do is try to silence me, knowing that if I was healed, that I would be a force to be reckoned with because then I would speak against it. I would expose the evil that we are calling evil today, that I would defend and protect God's people because that's what we're called to do as the people of God is to do what Rahab did and protect the very people under the homes, even in our imperfection, even in our reputation, that we would still be protector and defenders of God's people. And that's why I love the story of Rahab. She's in no way like 
this like honest hero that we're all trying to be. But what she did do is she forsook her reputation and the things that had happened to her. And when she received God as her living hope, she then became a defender of God's people and began to extend scarlet ropes instead of assigning scarlet letters. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so where we are now is we say, okay, I know that I have a, I know I have a reputation. I know that I have seen some things. I know that I have been through things and I have a voice now that is going to point people to that living hope. That's going to let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And the enemy wanted me to be silent. He wanted me to feel like a victim all the time. He wanted me to feel like I had no voice. And now I'm here to say like, I'm coming back stronger than ever because I took the time in the wilderness to know the voice of my father. And I know his voice because he's my shepherd and I'm going to now use mine. And that's the holy hutzpah we have to get. Not trying to take the church down with our anger, but to take the time in the wilderness to heal so that we can use our voice to put the enemy in his place. Um, and we are not the enemy. You and I are not the enemy to one another. The enemy is the enemy. Um, and he hopes that we forget that. But I have not forgotten. <laughs> nope. And now she is writing books and she's got herself a social media that goes beyond <laughs> church walls. Like she's doing all the things. <laughs> you know, and I think what you just said, though, was so beautiful where it's like, this is not against the church. This is not against the church at all. This is trying to get the wickedness out of the church. This is trying to purify and cleanse and make the bride beautiful. That's what this is all about. And and it's important to know the difference. And in so, though, we find that those spaces where we are called to, we find the little cracks and crevices that where maybe, you know, in some certain spaces you don't fit. That's fine. That's not where you're supposed to go. <laughs> but that um, in getting our voice restored and, and through these experiences, we have the eyes to see right where we have the ability to go in and pour back in that healing that has been given to us. And you use the great word defend to defend those who need defending. Yes. So good. Yeah. I, I long for us to be restored. And I know it will be on the other side of eternity where we will all find ourselves in that beautiful place of the perfected bride. Um, but my prayer is that as we live together and do this life together, that we try as hard as we can through the power of the Holy Spirit to be the, you know, that kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven to the best of our ability while we're here and to bring as many people with us into the kingdom of heaven, not continue to, you know, exclude and uh, divide, but to multiply and invite people back into this, this space. One of my favorite quotes from your book is you say, the next great revival in God's church won't come from those who have never been wounded. No, it will be led by those with limps and lumps who have refused to give up. That, that's it. That's where that radical remnant. That's right. I love it. I love it. Natalie, this has been just so life-giving. Would you tell listeners about the book, the most recent book, and your community and how they can keep up with you? Yeah, you can find Raised to Stay, Persevering in Ministry When You Have a Million Reasons to Walk Away on Amazon and Walmart and Books a Million, Christian Book, Mardell's. It's all out where books are sold. And then on Instagram, we have a beautiful community of about 126,000 stayers who are saying, look, it's been hard, but we're not going to give up under Raised to Stay and also on Facebook under Natalie Runyon. And I will include links to all that in the show notes. But thank, thank you, you so much for being with me, Natalie. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for being with me for this episode today. I hope you'll come back again. And in the meantime, you can follow me over on social media and find out about our resources and services over at uncommonvalor.co.